Here we go. Uh, so yesterday, guys, we talked about work and a few things we said about work. Uh, one is that we need it because we're designed for it. You know, that's how God designed us was to be workers, to imitate him or to mimic him in his work. Right. Um, we also talked about how God calls us into our work uh, in any work. You know, uh, you know, Christians faithfully uh, putting their hand to the plow, whether whether you're a campus minister or whether you're an accountant or a teacher or, you know, you're going to uh, be a nurse or whatever it is you're going to do one day. Uh, your specific work, God has gifted you specifically to, to serve him and to imitate him in that place. Right. And then the last thing we said was that, quite frankly, uh, work can be hard. It can be hard. Um, and then the last thing I said to you is that even though it's hard sometimes, sometimes you stick it out and you stay in that difficult place or that hard job. Uh, because sometimes, if not many times, uh, the, the dark places in the world, sometimes our workplaces, you know, need the light of Jesus. Uh, and, and you are that light. Uh, we're going to talk about that this morning as well. So... Uh, For right now, though, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, I read this one last night, and then I'm going to move over to Colossians uh, chapter 3, um, Colossians chapter 3, verses specifically 23 and 24. I'm going to have to get there in a second. My fingers are all messed up here. Uh, Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. By the way, if you get tired this morning and you start to nod off, if you need to stand up and move to the back and stand up, uh, that'd be a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean all of you are going to like end up at the back of the room, right? Uh, but seriously, help your neighbor, nudge them. Uh, funny thing about work, in my first job in human resources, uh, our department, the, benefit, the benefits department, uh, had to give a, um, a presentation to the vice president of human resources. And the meeting, they scheduled it at 1.30, uh, right after lunch. I had had a really good lunch at Tracy's Cafeteria, which is right next door to my building, which is amazing if you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama, but that's beside the point. So uh, we're in this meeting with the Vice President of Human Resources, and there's like nine of us in the room. So you know what's noticeable when there's only nine people in the room? It's noticeable when somebody falls asleep, you know, like across the table from the Vice President of Human Resources. Uh, So what I should have done in that moment, I should have stood right up. And I should have walked around or something. If you need to do that this morning, uh, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Okay? So, sorry for the excursus. Genesis 2, this is fun for me. I love telling you my stories. Um, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Remember, our work is good. It was ordained by God before sin came into the world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Okay, Father, we thank you. Uh, for the gift of uh, good songs that we just sang that reflect your truth um, and that reflect our lives. Uh, We thank you for your word now. Uh, We pray that that you would indeed embed it deep in our hearts uh, that, that by faith in Jesus we are justified. It's as though we had not sinned and it's as though we'd done everything right. What a wonderful truth. God, I pray that we would live out of that. I pray that we would apply what we're going to look at this morning in light of that also. Uh, So give us 
uh, ears to hear uh, and uh, give us hearts that are ready uh, to learn from you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my father-in-law, before he retired a few years ago, uh, had the same job at the same place for 37 years. Can you imagine? It's, it's sort of a, a thing of a bygone era, really, where people work for the same company and they get this thing called a, a pension. You know, it's like retirement, but it's, it's solely provided by the company that you work for, you know. Think of a bygone era. These days, you know, people like my old friend Carrie Palmer, uh, a guy that I was in Sunday school with. We're in our early 20s, just graduated from college. I was working in human resources, doing my benefit stuff, you know. And Carrie was working in sales, mostly like pharmaceutical sales or medical sales and stuff like that. By the time he was 29 years old, my friend Carrie Palmer had had five different jobs. So between the age of 22 and 29, seven years, he had had five different jobs. Now, of course, he obeyed the rule. It wasn't my rule at the time. But he, he obviously, you know, he stayed in each job for at least a year, right, uh, before he figured that, okay, I'm going to try something else now. And it took him a while, but by the time he was 29 years old, he figured it out, you know. Um, and that is uh, kind of what we do in our work. We, we exercise our gifts. We pray a lot. i talk about that later, too. Uh, and we ask the Lord for wisdom and for guidance. And the Lord helps us kind of find our way and figure it out. Um, even people who society, you know, emulates or looks up to uh, were not always what they became. Um, just yesterday on the airplane, uh, I wrote a wonderful article about Arnold Palmer, uh, a revered uh, professional golfer. And you may have heard of him. Uh, if, if for no other reason, you may have heard of him because of the, 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 the tea and lemonade drink that was named after him. You know, half tea, half lemonade. Um, but evidently, just a wonderful, humble man. I had no idea um, that before he became a professional golfer, Arnold Palmer was selling paint. Can you imagine? Uh, and, and then the, the actor, another one stands out to me in my mind, Harrison Ford. Uh, right? The actor Harrison Ford. Before he became an actor, not everyone knows, Harrison Ford worked as a carpenter. Did you know that? So like everyone, no matter how, how great or small, there's usually this, this way in which... You know, we're all just kind of finding our way, uh, exercising our gifts. What, 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 am I, what am I good at? Am, am I ever going to be satisfied in my work? Um, it, it, it can happen. It does happen. Uh, sometimes there's some drudgery and some long days and some hard days and some figuring out. Um, uh, but, it, but it does, and it can happen. I want to encourage you with that. Um, but a few ways, practically speaking, you know, like I said, this, this can be the practical end of things. A few things that can help you. Uh, somewhere on your college campus, there's probably a thing like at Mizzou. It's called the Student Success Center. You can go in there and you can take like a personality inventory test. And it spits out, uh, not literally, of course, but it spits out... Um, you know, a list of like potential jobs that you would be good at. Uh, now, those things are somewhat reliable. Uh, my wife, when she took that in inventory thing when she was in college, it said that she would be a great grocer, right? A purveyor of gross groceries, you know? Uh, what is she doing now? She's a physical therapist. Um, so maybe don't put all of your stock into those things. Uh, but I still remember, and I laughed, but I took one of those when I was sitting where you're sitting my junior year as a business major. And um, I, uh, my, my little inventory thing said uh, that I could work in business, work with people, do like human resources sorts of things. And then about five things down it said, minister. Minister. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, boy, are they wrong. Um, okay, so sometimes they do make sense, you know. Um, sometimes in order to find your way or figure things out, um, you just need to get a job. Uh, you know, I've, I've had many students, um, in some ways myself included, when we graduate, uh, you know, or we're looking ahead to graduation, we're just not sure. You know, our path isn't as clear as, let's say, our engineer friends, right, or our accounting friends, right? Uh, you, you know who you are and you know who your friends are, right? Their, their path is so clear and we envy them for it. Uh, but if you're the type, kind of like me, you know, graduation's looming a year, two years off into the future, um, and you're not sure, it's okay, you know? All you got to do is just look for a viable job that pays you a wage, preferably that has employee benefits. I've been conditioned. Um, and, and, and you can just start working and see if you like it. And if you don't, after a year, year and a half, two years, you venture off and you try something else until you find your way. And God is faithful and he helps us through that process. Um, so what I want to do now is kind of go back to the question of why we work. Uh, yesterday we talked a lot about the reasons why we work, sort of uh, on, on the foundational theological realm, you know, because God made us in his image and we imitate him. That's why we work. We, we, we also work because we need it. Without it, with too much leisure and too much pleasure, our life balance just gets completely out of whack. Now, on a practical level, we also mentioned that we need to work so we have to pay bills. Um, but what I want to appeal to this morning is, um, I don't know what to call this exactly, but it's that sense that we have in college, uh, especially if you've worked uh, other jobs. Like my first job I ever had was working at a garden center in the summertime. And me and a few other guys, we were sort of the grunts that were carrying around 40-pound bags of, of mulch and potting soil and, and carrying around you know whole trees and stuff and you know out in, out in the heat and, and I remember thinking to myself I'm going to go to college so that I can get my degree so that I can get my job so that I won't have to work that hard and so that I'll make more money than I did in that job some of you have that job right now right and so the world around us kind of tells us, you know, there's great earning potential. You know, if you go to college, you get a job, so on and so forth. And all that is true. It, it, it is true. More often than not, with a college degree, you're going to go out into the big world and you're going to be able to make more money than you did in any job you had before. Maybe not always, um, but most often, right? So what I want to do um, is sort of burst your bubble a little bit. Uh, if you're the type that making money and acquiring wealth and, and having a quote-unquote easier life uh, is going to be the better thing for you, uh, if, if, if that is your end goal, because you know, oftentimes it can be. I'm gonna, I, I should phrase it like this. I call it the so that. The so that of my work or the so that of making money. Uh, what, it, what is the so that? I'm going to do this so that I can what? I'm going to do this major so I can get this job so that I can make enough money. <clears throat> and this is what the world tells us, really. So I can make enough money uh, so that if and when I maybe get married um, and maybe have kids, I can support my family. And then we can do, like, leisure things, which are fun. And we can have nice cars and we can go on vacation and we can live the American dream. Or at least at one time, that was sort of known as, like, that. if you've arrived, if that becomes your life. Um, 
God's word calls us uh, and God calls us as we live our life with him um, to not be all about the wealth. Now, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that acquiring wealth or making money in a job that you're good at, that he's gifted you at, is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's all about your heart attitude that you bring to that particular job. Okay? So, uh, this part, uh, there's, as we know from our society, there's a great temptation toward wealth and making money. Um, the world tells us, uh, in fact, that you know, we should do things that way. Um, I would say that there's a shelf life to it. Um, you know, for example, uh, some of you may have heard about this. It was several, several years ago. There's a TV show called 60 Minutes. It used to be very popular. Uh, <laughs> Judging by your faces, not as much anymore. Uh, but Tom Brady, quarterback for the New England Patriots, who is currently inactive right now. Um, Tom Brady, who's sitting on the bench right now. Um, Ben's just jokes. That's the, yes, he, he will be back, says someone. Um, hey, just kidding, Jordan. Um, so Tom Brady was on 60 Minutes, and he had just won his third Super Bowl ring. And the interviewer for 60 Minutes said, and, and oh, and he's married to a Brazilian like supermodel, Giselle. Uh, you probably saw her walking like the the runway at the stadium at the Olympic. You know, um, that's his wife. And um, so the interviewer says, "You're married to a Brazilian supermodel. You just won your third Super Bowl ring." You're a handsome guy. Like, everything seems to be going your way. You know, uh, what is your life like? And Tom Brady looked at the interviewer and said, you know, you'd think I would be just thrilled and ecstatic. And he said, I just feel like there's just something missing. He's like, yeah, the Super Bowls are great, and I do have a beautiful wife, and I love my wife, but, but I just feel like there's just something missing. And the interviewer said, what do you think it is? And he looked back with a you know, quizzical, confused look, and he said, I don't know. And, of course, I'm watching it, and I'm going, it's Jesus. That's who you're missing, Tom. Like, you know. Um, but, but there is. There's, there's that, there's that re- restlessness or, or a sense of a, a shelf life. You know, the grocery store, things have a shelf life, at which point they, they expire and go bad. Uh, wealth can be like that. Achievement, success can be like that. It's a very, very poor master. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, God talks about it in his word again and again. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, sort of with regard to, to contentment and whatnot. Uh, he writes a letter to, to Timothy, a young pastor, a friend of his who joined him in the work of ministry. And Paul says this in First Timothy chapter 6, um, verse 6 and following, if you like to write stuff down. Um, He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. As opposed to being an enormous blessing, our want for wealth or success can actually have an adverse reaction in our lives. It can actually bring grief, Paul says. 
And he also says that there, there's this thing called contentment. I will be satisfied with what I have. Um, I have a student, a uh, sweet, sweet girl named Jayla. And Jayla is an overachiever if there ever was one. And she is going to make her mark in the world. And I'll never forget sitting down with her last spring. And across the table she was telling me about her family and whatnot. And her family was never... Uh, like absolutely destitute poor, but they didn't have a lot. And sitting across the table from me, she said, I decided a long time ago that I was never going to be poor again. And in that moment, I thought, wow, so many things make sense right now because she's pouring herself into her uh, accounting degree program. She got the right... um, Internship this past summer, uh, you know, she's, you know, making great grades. She's involved in like four or five different very influential student organizations, uh, of which she was just uh, elected president of, of one of those. Um, you know, she is making it happen, but she is determined because she does not want to be poor again. Now, on the one hand, that's not a bad desire. You know, if, if your life has been one of, of struggle and wanting to make it, and, and you know, I, I just don't want to struggle anymore. There's not not anything particularly wrong with that exactly, um, unless that turns to uh, a sense of want or a great desire uh, for what I just described a few minutes ago with the shelf life. If it's an end in and of itself, that I don't want to be poor again, or I, would, I just I want more money so I can have a comfortable life, so that I can, so that I can, so that I. What is your so that? In other words. Or is it, I don't want to be poor, I want to make money so that, yeah, I can provide and, you know, I, I, can, I can, can live without worry, uh, while at the same time, you know, I, I want to serve the Lord with the wealth that he's given me. I, I want to be generous with the wealth that he's given me because he has been generous to me. We read about the generosity of God to us in Second Corinthians chapter 8. One of the more lovely passages in the scriptures. Um, Paul is encouraging the people at the church in Corinth toward a generosity of heart in light of the gospel, in light of this thing that has justified you, you know, that has made it so that, you know, the most wonderful thing could be said about you. It's just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd done everything right, you know. Um, with, with that in mind, um, Paul says this uh, to the Christians at the church in Corinth. He says, just as you excel in everything, just as you excel in in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. And he says, he explains himself, why? Well, it's because this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He who is rich, for your sake, for my sake, he laid aside his riches and he became poor, so that we, even though we were in poverty, would have all the riches in the heavenly realms that belong to him. Everything that is his becomes ours. And so he says, out of the spiritual richness that you have, excel in this grace of giving. So don't hear me say that acquiring wealth is bad. I don't think that it's bad. I just think that it can lead to bad places if you're so that is divorced from the gospel. 
In other words, if you are the center of your wealth and you are the only recipient of your, your wealth, and if, if you're only trying to create a, a, a com- comfortable life only for you, God's intention is that his people would live outwardly facing lives. You know, where, where we seek, uh, you know, with the gifts that he's given us, but even our wealth. If we work really hard and we make some money, you know, he, uh, he says we should be generous with it. Um, so, uh, some of you don't have a lot of money yet. You know, you're in college, right? So if you're ever wondering, like, what can that look like? You know, my, my wife, uh, you know, a lot of the examples I have are just from my life. And so you're getting a lot of my life. You're welcome. Um, so my, my wife, when she graduated from college, uh, she did not have a lot of money, of course, to begin with. Um, but she had a friend who, after they graduated, started doing the RUF internship. And she decided that even though she didn't have much, because she herself was starting graduate school, so she really didn't hardly have any extra cash laying around. Uh, but from what she had, she gave. And uh, this friend of hers, who was a part of her RUF, who was going to begin this RUF internship, she pledged $10 a month to, to, go for, for, to, to support him in his work as an intern uh, so that, you know, when, when he would go buy coffee with a student, um, you know, when, when, when he would, uh, you know, go have lunch with a student or, or whatever, you know, she saw it as that. I'm buying coffee for my intern, for my guy who's this intern now at this other school over here and because I know that he's going to talk to them about Jesus, you know. So, so even, if you even if you don't think you're wealthy, you might have some wealth that you can be generous with. Uh, just a little, little food for thought. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, we read from Colossians chapter 3, you know, the Apostle Paul says, basically, who are you working for? That's a really good question for us to ask, especially for those of us who have difficult work circumstances. Either the work itself is hard, or we have an unreasonable boss, or we have an idiot coworker who we can't stand. Um, I'm kind of half joking when I say that, but we all know, right? Because we never forget, because Tim, right, from last night. Um, it's that whole idea of who, who are you working for? And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, you should work as though you are working for the Lord. It's a mindset. You know, it's, it's my spiritual life is not just me and Jesus walking together all the time and I have to endure work and get over it. No, me and Jesus, you know, he's taking me into the workplace. You know, and he's given me this work and he wants me uh, to work as though I'm working for him. You know, and if I have that mindset, I can endure pretty much anything. Um, but who is it that you're working for? Are you working for you or are you working for the Lord? Um, now, I say that I hesitated whether or not to tell you another story. I just I love good stories and I love good movies. Uh, and if you've ever seen the movie Miracle, Disney put it out. Uh, it's about the Miracle on Ice, the 1980 Olympic team, you know, so on and so forth. One of my favorites because I get really geeked up over a good locker room speech. And that is one of the best locker room speeches in that film that you'll ever see. But what I'm about to tell you is not the locker room speech. I'm just telling you that to hook you a little bit so you'll go watch the movie. But there's a time when uh, evidently the whole U.S. hockey team... Uh, um, you know, the, the coach has all these college players from different schools, Minnesota, Boston, just all over the place, and he's got to get them to gel together as a team, right? Uh, and, but they're playing as a bunch of individuals, and they're in trouble, and he's making them skate lines, like all the way up the ice and back and up the ice and back, and they're exhausted. And it's after a, a game that they've already played, so they're doubly exhausted, right? 
and he says to the players, who do you play for? You know, he calls them out one by one. So-and-so, who do you play for? I play for the University of Minnesota. You know, so-and-so, who do you play for? I play for the University of Boston. They're not getting it, right? And then finally, at the point of exhaustion, this one guy, he's, he's breathing so hard because he's exhausted. You know, it's, it's an epic moment, really. And, you know, and the coach doesn't even ask. He yells out. I think it was Mike Ruzioni. And he says, my name is Mike Ruzioni. I play for the United States of America. And the coach is like, we're done here, gentlemen, you know, and they all like collapse collectively on the floor. But it, but it is sort of that similar thing of like, who, who are you working for? You know, are, are you working for a team of one, you know, yourself? Or are you working for, you know, your heavenly father who loves you and who wants good, good things for you and who has placed you strategically in your workplace as light? Okay. Um, if you're doing it that way, work can actually become a delight, even if it's hard. Now. Cue the segue. Um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, uh, I think verses 16 and 17, I have to double check. Uh, I was wrong. I was just kidding. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13 and following. Um, Jesus actually says this about his people. He says, you are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again and is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world. It is as though you, you person... Little you, if that's how you feel. Like, me? Yes, you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you imitate him not only how you go about your work, but simply by your presence in the room. You are like a light that was a lamp set up on, a, on, a, on its little place here, and you give light to the whole room. Now, it's not always going to feel like it, you know? And, and sometimes you're going to want to remind your coworkers, right? I'm special. Do you know that I'm light? Like, you're going to ask me to do what? File these things again? I answered the phones yesterday. You know, that's how we feel sometimes about our work, right? But you are light, and God is using you in that place. One author calls it a faithful presence. The faithful presence of the Christian in the workplace. This guy, Tom Nelson, from his book Work Matters, says it this way. One of the ways that we are salt and light and act as redemptive agents in this broken world is to live out a faithful presence in the workplace. And then he goes on to quote this sociologist who says, Faithful presence in the world means that Christians are fully present and committed in their spheres of influence, whatever they may be, their families, neighborhoods, voluntary activities, and what's that? Oh, yeah places of work a faithful presence you are like a little Jesus in that place in how you treat people how you talk to people how you go about your work without complaining and let's face it we're not short on complaining are we? you know we're not too good at keeping the hard things inside can you believe that so and so did da 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 you know uh, you, you can just join my, my wife at her little lunch table. Uh, she comes home and she's like, oh my gosh, the, you know, the, the gossip and the talking and the complaints. She's like, more than I can bear. It's, it's there. It's always there. But are we going to choose to be different? Or are we going to choose to live in line with who we are, what's true of us as God's children, that we are light in those places? Um, 
Tim Keller, in his really good work, uh, Every Good Endeavor, talks about how your work matters as you are light. What I want to try to get you to do is to grasp this whole concept that, that you, uh, as a kingdom representative, God's kingdom, you know, uh, in the workplace where you are, it is as though you are bringing the kingdom of God to bear in that place. If the concept of light is different for you, then maybe this concept might work. Um, the, the whole idea that as a Christian, you are entering into a dark place and you are helping bring the kingdom of God to bear in such a way that you are pushing back the curse of sin in that place and the curse of darkness in that place. Because of that, your work matters. How you do it, um, you know, who it is you think you're working for, so on and so forth. This is how Tim Keller says it. He says, there is a God, there is a future healed world that, that he will bring about, and your work is showing it in part to others. Your work will only be partially successful on your best days in bringing that world about. In other words, you're bringing heaven to earth. And we don't do it completely, but we do it in part. He goes on. But inevitably, what he calls the whole tree, like the, the, peace, the, the tree of peace and perfection and the way things should be, the whole tree that you seek, the beauty, harmony, justice, comfort, joy, and community will come to fruition. If you know all of this, you will work with satisfaction and joy. You will not be puffed up by success or devastated by setbacks. You can keep that in mind when you go about your work. Now, a couple of practical things, then we'll wrap up and you can go to your groups. Okay? These are sort of the unsolicited my pieces of life advice for you. Um, as you go about your work in your workplace, uh, be about or become a person of prayer. Uh, I tell my students things like this all the time. Out of the dozen people that you might be surrounded by that you work with, you know, it might be a stretch to pray for all dozen, but you can ask the Lord, God, is there one person here? Is there, are, are, are there two people here that especially you want me to pray for? You might want to start with the person who annoys you the most. I'm not kidding. Or the person who, who you feel like is your enemy. Because what we forget... On the surface, what we forget is that on the surface we see a person who annoys us, a person who's a jerk, a person who's demanding, a person who doesn't appreciate my work, so on and so forth, right? What we don't see is that that person has a heart and a life underneath that really rough, off-putting exterior. And that person, whoever they are, something's gone on in their life that has brought them to that point to where they are the demanding person and the unreasonable person and sometimes the, the mean person. And as Christians, we are called to incarnate, to enter in as best we know how, and to sort of find out what happened here, you know? And it's an easy way to start is just with prayer, asking God to soften your heart toward this other person, asking him to help you see that there's a whole other person underneath, you know, this really off-putting exterior. Food for thought. So become a person of prayer, praying for your workplace, praying for your coworkers. Um, seek opportunities to know your coworkers. It's so easy just to go in, check in, and check out. And all your friends are outside of work. Um, if you're the type, uh, maybe invite a coworker to go grab lunch with you. Hey, I'm going to lunch. Do you want to come? You know? Or even to do things outside of work. You know? Hey, why don't you and 
gather a little group. Hey, why don't you and you and you, hey, why don't we go and, um, you know, grab dinner and a movie tomorrow night? It's Friday night, you know? That new, we, we were just talking about that new movie. Um, or invite people into your home. Um, I, don't, I don't, you know, hospitality is a thing that God calls us people to. And invite people over. If you don't know how to cook, order a pizza. You know? I'm half joking. And, like, take the hit and treat people to it if, you, if, you're, if you're able. Maybe, like, skip that concert or that show that your friends want to go to where you're going to drop, like, 40 bucks for a ticket anyway and say to yourself, maybe I'll take that 40 bucks and I'll treat my coworkers, who I'm sort of getting to know a little bit here, I'll treat them to pizza at my place and we'll just hang out and watch the game. Or we'll just hang out and play cards or we'll hang out and, you know? And you'd be surprised at how quickly the walls come down um, that you can see very clearly in the workplace, but how quickly the walls will come down and you actually might be able to build better relationships with people. Um, so exercise hospitality, extend uh, invitations to, to, to be together. Um, however, when you're at work in the workplace, work hard. You know, I talk about relationships and building relationships. Um, you know, as I say it, uh, you're, you're being paid to do your job, not to share the gospel with Jack or Susan. You know, we, we hope to get there in our relationships, right? Especially if someone doesn't know who Jesus is and doesn't have a personal relationship with him. But, but our boss is paying us, you know, we're earning a wage for a service rendered, right? And so we should be working hard at that service that we were hired for. Seeking opportunities to talk about the gospel, maybe over lunch, um, you know, maybe during breaks, maybe after work, so on and so forth. Okay? Um, a few other thoughts uh, in terms of working as though you're working for Jesus. Uh, be on time. Uh, strive for excellence. Go the extra mile. Don't just do the status quo. It has an effect on people. They get curious about you. Why do you work so hard? Why do you always do the extra thing? You know, it can be an opportunity to talk. Um, be a team player. Um, and lastly, I would say uh, stand up for yourself. There are occasions in which uh, you might need to, in a gentle way, stand up for yourself. In other words, you do not have to be the office punching bag. Uh, case in point, my friend Oliver, if you were at my summer conference seminar on this, you, you might remember this story. Um, a friend of mine, Oliver Gumbrell, uh, I hadn't seen him in years since college, and we, we got reacquainted a few years ago in Atlanta, and he was telling me about his job and his boss, who was very hard on him. And, and Oliver is the dude, like, you know, he, he's the man, like, he's, he's at work on time, he gets his work done, so on and so forth. And, and um, there were some family responsibilities that called for him to change up his work schedule a little bit, but he was still getting his work done. And his boss called him in one day and just let into him, just yell, literally yelling, I can't believe you, da-da-da, you're slacking off, you're da-da-da, da-da-da, and he just like let him have it. And the whole time, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did you do? And my friend is said, he said, I just, I sat there and I let him finish. And he said, I looked at him and I said, Tom, everything you just said is not true. And you know it and I know it. You know since the time you hired me that I've been a good worker and a hard worker. And if you want to look at my reports or my productivity, you can see that it is as good as, if not better, than others. Whoa, right? But then he said, Tom, I just feel like something else is bothering you. Is there something else going on that you want to talk about? I'm like, are you I'm like having this moment? Like, are you, like who does that, right? 
until he totally turns the tables on Tom. And Tom's like, uh. And the guy did. He actually said, well, you know, things are a little tense at home right now. And the kids are getting ready to leave for college. And, you know, me and Jane, his wife, you know, we're, we're not seeing eye to eye on this thing. And they just had this real, I'm sorry I let India. I know it's not your fault. You know, keep working hard and blah, blah, blah. And it was fine, right? You know? But that's what I mean. Like, you don't have to sit there and take it. You can be what's called curious rather than defensive. Um, you can be curious rather than defensive. Defensive is like fighting. Like, right? You're going to fight with me? Oh, I'm going to come back at you. Get ready. Gloves are off. Let's do this. Right? That's how most of us feel, right? But by being curious, by asking a simple question, hey, look, and if you can verifiably point to something and go, look, man, I'm doing the best I can. I get here on time. I try to do hard work. I'll, I'll try to do better at the things you're talking about. Um, but I, I do feel like you're being a little unreasonable with me here. Is, you know, what else is going on here? What are you not telling me? You know, be curious. Ask questions. Now, that's a learned skill, you know, and you might be nervous and, like, sweating under the arms while you're asked, like, oh, I don't know if I should say this or not. Um, but, you know, like my friend Oliver, he entered in uh, because he took notice of his boss. And I think he told me he had been praying for his boss. Uh, so, little uh, recap for you here. Uh, reminders. Uh, who are you working for? Um, and ask yourself, what is the bigger picture to my place in this workplace? You know, how is God bringing about the, 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 the entering in, the, the, the bearing upon in that workplace, the kingdom of God? How is he doing that through me, maybe through a few others who are Christians in the workplace? Um, because it is God's kingdom that's being brought to bear by you. Um, and whether you know it or not, that is a thing that changes the world. One of the things I talked about yesterday is like, why, why do we work? And I talked about, you know, these students who wanted to have a brain trust and this, this other student, former student of mine who's in grad school to bring clean drinking water to the world because he wants to push back the curse of sin. And it, it's, it's a way of change. It's changing the world to make it more like the way God intended it to be, where sin wouldn't be a thing and where his righteousness would reign. And I want to tell you that you can do that. that as you work as you're working for the Lord and not for man and as you're you're working with with others in mind and and of working hard you you are changing the world in ways that you likely don't know people go home and they talk about you do you know that? Uh, for good or for ill if if, if you work in this way the way that I'm, I'm submitting to you that I'm describing to you People go home and talk about you. And they say things like, man, I couldn't believe it. Um, So-and-so picked up my my extra day at work, even though they had already worked three days this week. He picked up my extra shift so that I can go home and, you know, be at my dad's wedding or whatever. So-and-so really helped me out. I wasn't sure what I was doing. The boss was walking around the corner, and they came right over and helped me just before the boss came around and showed me how to do it so that I could... Like, you guys make the dinner table conversation. That's what I call it, right? When people go home to their roommates or their friends or their families and they talk about you, what they don't know all the time is that when they talk about you, they're talking about Jesus because it is Jesus in you that has that influence. We're going to stop there. I'm going to pray. You're going to get into your groups, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word once more. We thank you for... 
for how you help us to see with your eyes. And God, I pray that we would view our work through your lens, through the lens of your word, through the lens of how Jesus loves us. So would we love others in and through how we approach the workplace. And Lord, help us to believe truly that you are using us as salt and light, as agents of change in your world, pushing back the curse of sin and bringing to bear the righteousness that we have, that you've graced us with through your son, Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.